Amen, amen. If you have a Bible, open up with me to Genesis chapter 35. Uh, Genesis chapter 35. We'll be looking this morning at the first 15 verses of Genesis chapter 35. Many of you here, as you're turning there, many of you are new to our church, and so uh, you may not know all the things that uh, we feel and all the ways that we believe and all those different kinds of things. I want to mention one thing, uh, in, a, in, a, in a sanctuary on a Sunday morning, there's a lot of beautiful and joyful and glorious noise. But to those of us here at First Baptist Gadsden, there's no sound that gives us more joy than the sound of children in the sanctuary on the Lord's Day. Now, I'm going to tell you, and I don't like to air all this very often, but I've preached to some very quiet rooms here. And I love it when they're not. And this church loves it when the room's not quiet. Don't we, church? We love it. It's such a great joy to us. That's an answer to prayer. So if you are a precious mother or a precious father or even a grandparent and you're sitting there with, uh, and I've been there, your face is red and you're nervous and you're thinking, oh my goodness, you know, whatever else. No, just know that for us, that's an answer to prayer. We prayed for years uh, for, for that very thing to happen. Uh, some of us literally uh, prayed. Uh, I heard uh, a few weeks ago somebody mentioned that David Nolan used to pray in deacons meeting that we would be interrupted in worship uh, by children again. A few, several months ago, I called David. I said, David, keep praying for kids, but you can stop praying for the interruptions now. <laughs> I think the Lord's answered that prayer. It's our joy. We, we, we love it, and I want to remind everyone here, I just noticed as I worship today what a sweet and precious extra instrument the Lord had added to the room. And as we hear those children offering their praises to the Lord, I can't begin to tell you what joy we take in that, in that very thing. If you have your Bible open there to Genesis chapter 35, I'd like to invite you to stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Moses writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to you and to me. Beginning of verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and, all, and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem and as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is, Bethel, and, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Elon Bahuf. God appeared to Jacob again, and when he came from Padnaram, he blessed him. 
God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. And the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. And then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. And he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. And O God, as this word is preached, as we hear it, as we receive it, I pray, Father, that our hearts would be transformed by your word. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, right before we moved to Gadsden, my grandfather, Paul Ledbetter, my mom's dad, passed away. In fact, the very week that we were uh, to preach, I was to preach, not in view of a call here, but I was preaching, it was in, in March, almost uh, a little over nine years ago now, uh, I preached there at... Uh, First Baptist Church Boaz on a Sunday night, they, the search committee kind of sn- snuck in uh, to hear me preach in preparation for calling me to be the pastor here. Well, that week, on the same very trip, I preached my grandfather's funeral. And so lots of people from my home church, First Baptist Church of Boaz, were there. And I'd grown up there, but I'd since gone to college and then on to seminary, and I hadn't been home much. I hadn't preached there in a long time. I really wasn't home much at all just because. Uh, we spent so much time, we worked and I was pursuing my education and all those things. It was hard to get home. And when we did get home, we just saw family. So I just hadn't seen a lot of people from my home church in a long time. Well, I got done preaching there, my grandfather's funeral. And afterward, people naturally started coming up to me. And wow, I felt great. Because people kept saying, Matt, you did a really good job. But then as time progressed, I started to feel worse about the situation because I realized the first few times I had missed something about the inflection in their voice. As it progressed and more people came up to me, I realized what they were saying was, Matt, you did a really good job. There were question marks at the end of every sentence. They were surprised. They kept saying, Matt, it really feels like, I'm just going to tell you, I think you did a great job here. Finally, I thought, you know, I don't really know how to feel about this. I I don't feel like this is as much of a compliment as I thought it was at first. I kind of went from, you're right, I did, to like, maybe I didn't. Maybe it's just the bar was so low as to what they expected. That they felt like I did a great job. Here's the reality, and this is something I want to tell you today. God changes lives. God changes lives. God can and will transform you. And I want you to know, contrary to the plot of most Disney movies, following your heart and your instincts is probably not the best way to approach life. In in fact, I would say you probably need to be changed more than you realize you need to be changed. 
That's part of what was dawning on me then as a 26-year-old as a is that God was forming me and shaping me and changing me and that it was good for me to be changed. It was good for me to be different. It was good to, for me to be transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be changed by God. Now this very idea that you need to change, that you are not perfect just the way you are, that there are things about you that are sinful, that are fallen, that are wrong, that are insufficient. This very idea is probably the most offensive thing we believe as Christians. At least to the world around us, this very idea, God forbid, right, that we would contradict Lady Gaga and say, that we were not on the right track when we were born this way. That we need to be transformed. It's, it's, it's contradictory. Some people really are offended by us contradicting Lady Gaga, I can tell. A lot of monsters in the room, I guess. So anyway, here's the, here's the reality. <laughs> you, nobody was expecting me to go that deep on Lady Gaga today. <laughs> nobody was. Some of you are new here. We're all used to it. Some of you are new. Okay. We need to be changed. We, we need to be transformed. We need God to change us. And this is a lesson that Jacob learned the hard way. This is a lesson that Jacob had to learn throughout his life, and it's a lesson he learned the hard way. And I want you to know this morning that God wants to change your life. Those of you who have been with us as we've walked through this section of Genesis have seen some of the transformation of Jacob's life. And this morning we will see one of the final stones put into place in Jacob becoming Israel. God's man. Someone who was transformed. God wants to change your life. And as we see how God changed Jacob's life, I think we will also see how he can change yours. I want you to see this morning three truths that will help you understand how God wants to change you today. And not only how God wants to change you, but three ways that the transformation of God could impact your life and give you freedom and joy and hope that you didn't know was possible. Three truths this morning that will help you see how God wants to change your life. Here's the first. Here's the first point this morning. God purifies His people. God purifies His people. God is calling here in verse 1, Jacob to come worship Him. Notice what the Bible says, chapter 35, verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. I pronounce that two ways. Bethel sounds normal, because if you know a place called Bethel or Bethel Baptist Church, that's how we say it. But a couple times I try to pronounce it Bethel, which is a little closer to how it might be said in Hebrew. So you get the idea that this L at the end is in reference to God. This is a place where Jacob met the Lord in the past. It is what is, in his estimation, the very house of God. So God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel or Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. 
And so God has come to Jacob and called him to come and worship him at this place, to meet him again. In other words, the last time Jacob was at this place, at Bethel, it's this altar or this pillar that he set up before, and it will become an altar. It's a place where his grandfather Abraham worshipped God, and it's a place where he met the Lord on his way to Laban, where he was deceived. It's part of his story with the Lord. And now, as he's come back and he's lived here in Shechem, his boys have made a mess of things in Shechem because they killed a lot of people. If you, if you, you might want to go back and read Genesis chapter 34 to see that. So now God is calling him back to Bethel where he's going to reveal himself to him again. And so how do they respond to God calling them to this place? Notice what's said in verses 2 and 3. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Now as people respond, they take all the foreign gods that they had they also take these rings that are in their ears. This is just a, a picture, it seems like, where, where the sort of Canaanite religion has worked its way into the people of God. They have these foreign gods, and they also seem to have some sort of, I don't think this means that all earrings are pagan or, or anything like that. We could probably find a church that believes that, but I, I don't think I'd go that far, any sort of jewelry or whatever. But these must have been some sort of signifiers of a sort of religion, something that reflected a sort of paganism of the land. Jacob tells them to reject all these things, and, and you begin to see the way then that Jacob's devotion to the Lord has not quite been what it needs to be. And, and we've seen him in progress, we've seen him developing, but as he's called back to Bethel, we see a moment of purification for the people of God. We, we see what they're doing, and what does Jacob do? He takes these idols, and he takes these symbols of half-hearted devotion or split devotion to the Lord, and he takes them and he buries them under this terebinth tree. Now, I don't necessarily think that Jacob was intending to convey this, but there might be a sense, especially because we're going to see later in this chapter several deaths recorded and people buried. There may be a sense in which Moses is trying to highlight for us the fact that these household gods are not gods at all. They're dead. Could the God of Israel just simply be buried under a tree like this? Oh, certainly not. Certainly not. He's the God of all that is. And yet these household gods are not really gods at all. They're dead. They're not living. They're cast away. They're buried. They're hidden. And so we see this rejection of the household gods, this rejection of the foreign gods, this rejection of signs of allegiance to other gods. We see people purifying themselves as they go to worship the Lord. It's a simple principle, I think, that we can gather from this passage. If we're going to turn to the Lord and worship the Lord appropriately, we must purify our lives. Now, not only is worship something that requires us to purify our lives, but worship, genuine, authentic worship unto the Lord is something that results in purity in our lives. So often, I think, we define worship down as a mere emotional experience. Now listen, I hope that as you encounter the glory of the risen Christ, that it will impact your emotions. 
We're not trying to say that we want to just become emotionless creatures. But what I am saying is oftentimes we judge worship by superficial responses. Did I feel moved? Did I feel spoken to? Did I feel this? Did I feel that? Oftentimes I think we'd do better to judge our worship by how holy it has made us on the other end. How convicted we felt as we beheld the risen Lord. How our sins felt to us as we were in the presence of God. We must purify our lives. God requires purity of His people. And I think directly we can say that God wants us to purify our lives of idols and idolatry. I've given you this definition a hundred times. It's one I learned in seminary. What is an idol? It's something that you'll sin to get or sin if you don't. If you'll sin to get it, it's an idol. If you'll sin if you don't get it, it's an idol in your life. In other words, that's something then, if you're sin to get it, sin if you don't, that's something you value higher than the one true God. Don't you see that? Don't you see that if you're willing to transgress God's law, if you're willing to run roughshod over what the Lord's told you to do to get something, that you worship it more than you do the God of the Bible? Now I ask you today, what idols do you have in your life? What things do you have in your life that are governing your life more tightly than the very Word of God? Purge your life of those things. God wants you to be pure. But furthermore, we we need to purge our hearts and purify our hearts of all sorts of sin, not just idolatry, but any sort of sin. There are things that we are tempted toward that God wants you to turn from. I don't want you to just miss this simple reality. God called Jacob and his family by grace and grace alone. Uh, God called Abraham by grace and grace alone. And yet that life of faith that they lived, when they turned from their sins and their wicked ways and turned to God, that was a life of purity that they turned to. Grace leads to us leaving sin behind. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect. It doesn't mean you'll always be perfect. In fact, you see here, Jacob and his family had known enough of God to know that these idols were worthless, and yet still there they were. Turn to the Lord. Purify your life. Purify your heart. But don't miss the reality of who is at work. Isn't it the Lord Himself who we're ultimately dependent on to purify us? It's only by His grace that we become more holy. That's a lesson Jacob has learned the hard way over time. It's a lesson his family has learned the hard way where you could look at Jacob's family and The last word you'd use for any of them is pure. In fact, so much of the rest of this narrative in the book of Genesis is going to highlight the one man among them who was actually pure, who was Joseph. But over and over and over again, you see the way that the fathers and their sons were sinners. And yet God calls us to purity. Second of all, not only does God purify His people, second of all, God humbles His people. God humbles his people now we don't have time to go back and walk through the entirety of the way that god has humbled jacob so far so why don't we just sort of focus on one area in particular his relationship with the lord you you may not know this about the book of genesis but the reality is genesis from start to finish is essentially a book about three relationships 
Three good relationships that God gave to Adam that were forfeited through sin and which God is recovering through the seed of Abraham. As Christians, we recognize ultimately that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. God made Adam and Eve. He put them in a garden. They were His people. His people, that's the main relationship. Our relationship to God. They were in His place. I'm sorry, His people. They were not only his people in relationship to him, but they were also his people in the sense that they were meant to relate to one another. And so we see the way that God's people were fragmented and broken by sin, beginning with Cain and Abel, and all the way through we see jealousy and bitterness and anger and fighting. Jacob's had a share of that, hasn't he, with his brother Esau? They were God's people. Second of all, they were in God's place. God gave them a land in which they were to live and experience his goodness there. And the fall broke the relationship that man had to the world to creation to the land and then god promised abraham the promised land to go back to a place to to once again be god's people in god's place and then finally under god's rule that's the most important relationship we have our relationship to god so you've got the relationship of man to man the relationship of man to woman the relationship of man to the land or the earth or the creation and the relationship of man to god And all throughout the book of Genesis, you'll see the way these themes play out. And in fact, God will reiterate His promises at the end of this very section that we're looking at and show the way that He's restoring all those things through Abraham. Jacob's tendency was the tendency of sin to want to try to bring about these things himself, to to try to have his own plans and schemes and even deceits that brought these things about himself. And early on, he makes a sort of tenuous here at Bethel He makes a sort of tenuous commitment to the Lord. Chapter 28, this is 20, 21, and 22. Listen to what Jacob said. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And to all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Uh, So many of us, that's sort of our relationship to the Lord. If you'll give me all the things that I think I deserve from you, then I'll tithe and be a good boy and do the things you've asked me to do. And that should be enough for you because you should be grateful that I would serve you. I I don't like if-then relationships with the Lord where we treat God like a sort of lucky rabbit's foot. Well, as long as this thing's working, I'll keep it in my pocket. But when it's not, I'm going to toss it in the trash because I don't really want a rabbit's foot sitting around my house, right? We don't treat God like that. We don't have if-then relationships with the Lord. In in the past at Bethel, Jacob had set up a pillar. Uh, It was different. There was a marked difference in the way he responded to the Lord. He wanted a remembrance of the Lord, but he didn't 